Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, and welcome to Academy Rewind, where we take a look back at the Oscars from years past. I'm Tim, and with me, as always, is 1989's best, Palmer. How are you today? I'm good. That was a tough year. It was a tough year. Was yeah. it a tough year? It was. It was between me and the guy who sang Hit Me With Your Best Shot. Hit Me With Your Best Shot. Yeah. This is not a Hit Me With Your Best Shot. Unfortunately, that was Geeks, not though. an actual guy, and I just blanked on the song that the guy actually sang. That was so it wasn't that. <laughs> no, was not that. Oh, okay. Addicted to Love. Nailed it. No, that's... <laughs> um, oh, no, wait. I was going to sing I'm Ready for Love, but Addicted to Love and said, I'm addicted to love. Yeah, that's yeah, not, it's not that the song same goes. song. Nope. No, okay. So here's the, here's the podcast where we're going to take a look back at uh, the Oscars from years past, 1989 this week. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, 1989's Best Pictures. We have Dangerous Liaisons, yes. Mississippi Burning, yep. Working Girl, mm-hmm. The Accidental Tourist, mm-hmm. and Rain Man. You know, fun fact. Yeah. No World War II movies. Not one World War II movies. Yeah. What movie? Weird. Yeah. Um, they knew in that in 10 years, there was going to be too many of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I know what won Best Picture. You do not. Do you want to take a guess? Uh, I am going to guess Dangerous Liaisons. You would be incorrect. Okay. Uh, it was Rain Man. Oh, that was my second guess. Yeah. It was a good second guess that you didn't get to. Right. You get Dangerous Liaisons was really your you thought it if you thought That's it was what won. I thought one. Interesting. Well let's talk about Dangerous Liaisons first. Okay. Um all right, so it's directed by Stephen Frears, Glenn Close, um well starring Glenn Close, John Malkovich, Michelle Pfeiffer, uh Uma Thurman. Uh Uma Thurman, yep. Keanu Reeves, yep. um doing his best Bill's trapped in aristocratic <laughs> French society. Wait, is he Ted and, or is he Bill or Ted? And a box. And a box. Uh, he's Ted. Ted. Yeah. Nah, it's fine. He was doing an impression of Bill. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so the film is basically these, these two, these two, um, French aristocrats, uh, Glenn Close and John Malkovich. Yes. They are ex lovers and they are bored for lack of a better way, right. term. So, or, or well, a better way to describe money, it. You don't really have anything else to do. They literally have nothing to do. So they, so they fill their time making other people's lives miserable from behind the scenes. They yeah. hatch these plans and decide to ruin people's lives just because they're bored. Kind of like my life sans money. Yeah, well, I know you could sit in the dark and be and like hatch plans, but you're not right. actually doing it. Yeah. Yeah, so they're pretty terrible people and so they set up this they set up this idea to that John Malkovich, a famous wooer of women. Yes, the uh, Vicomte de Chani. Yes, yes, very good. Um he is going to um he is going to uh I guess corrupt uh Michelle Pfeiffer's character who is seen as this or who is this very morally upright person. This is his great challenge. Right. You know, his David, yes. if you will. Um and then so it kind of all unfolds from there where there's there's other people getting in the way and whether it works, it doesn't work. And it's all done just so he can bed sleep with Glenn Close he one more time. Glenn Close one more time. Right. Yeah. And she is enjoying the heck out of herself. Right. So that's the story. That um, is the basic story. So let's talk. So let's talk about story first. What what do you think? Uh, it was a story. 
Um, certainly was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it had some of those twists and turns. Yeah. But I feel like it never really cohesively comes together. You know, I kind of thought that too. I mean, when this movie came out, right. it was like, oh my, look what they're doing on screen. Yes. Well, I mean, and, it, it, and was now, based off a, it was based off a novel. Right. And now, uh, no, play. Well, oh, it was a play. Okay. It was a play. Um, and so, but now, I mean, you could watch dirtier things on Pretty Little Liars. Yeah. Well, the the funny thing is, for those who don't know, they've they've redone this a couple of times. Yeah. They've, they've redone Dangerous Liaisons as Dangerous Liaisons, but the better known remake was Cruel Intentions. Sure. Uh, with Sarah Michelle Gellar and Ryan Phillippe. So I had a hard enough time. And Reese Witherspoon. And Reese don't, Witherspoon. Don't leave her out. I have a hard enough time trying to not um, draw comparisons from this movie and that movie. Well, yeah, you shouldn't. Well, I mean, it's the it's the same basic story. Yeah, sure, but when but you're not but that movie wasn't out yet. Correct. However, um I feel like some of the some of the the things I ha- the problems I have with the plot, I think they fix in cruel intentions. Sure. Well, what do you ha- what problems do you have with the plot? So, you know, he goes through this whole thing to try and corrupt the Vicomte. Right. He goes through the whole thing of trying to corrupt um, Michelle Pfeiffer. And, I mean, the very end is supposed to be Glenn Close is like, well, you know, I'm not going to let you two-time her. So to to win this bet, you have to break it off with her. Right. And he does. And she's like, ha-ha, I fooled you because you were in love with her. Yeah. He shows no indication of that throughout the entire movie. Um, it's not until like she says it where he's like, oh, sure. Yes, I was. I, so, okay. I understand what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of disagree, but I think, so we can talk about acting at the same time, I guess the way John, John Malkovich Malkovich is up the the place. Yeah. It's hard to tell probably on purpose whether he's being truthful or not mm-hmm. because that's part of the character is that he's a great deceiver and he's very bored and he's very bored like, so malkovich knocks boredom out of the park on this one yeah um do you not like john malkovich no i do oh okay. but like he just like the entire movie he just seemed bored yeah well i think he's supposed to his character right. is bored so um so I understand what you you mean. It did kind of feel like it came out of it came out of left field. Mm-hmm. Like, but, but but do you? But do you? No. See, I didn't. I didn't buy that he really loves her. Even at the end, when he's like, "Oh, I really do," and I can't live right. My life he's supposed her. to. He's the cat is nibbling at my <laughs> side. Um, he's supposed to be this changed man, right? And I agree. I don't think he is. I don't think the film gets that across, right? At all. And I think the other the other point, and this ties into the other half of that plot line, is I don't feel he ever does enough for Michelle Pfeiffer to to remotely go, yeah, he's the guy. See, I that's know. actually the problem that I had, where I was like, I was like, woman, he yeah. he has done nothing right. apart from giving some money to, some money to the to the poor family right. so they don't lose their home but which she doesn't see which she doesn't see but i mean it spreads throughout the town i mean it's fairly obvious that he did it right you know as they talk about it so but yeah i she her like 
ironclad morals mm-hmm. fell apart pretty quickly. Right. Well, I mean, that's pretty much because it was John Malkovich. Sure. I mean, my ironclad morals would fall apart pretty quickly for him. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, but I'm, I'm totally with you and I'm not sure if that's a fault of the acting or the way that it's presented. Yeah. And I mean, let's not forget, there's a very questionable, um, sex scene between Malkovich and Uma Thurman. Sure. Cause she's this young flowering thing that, you know, and he's supposed to show her the ways. Right. But I mean like the first time where she quite repeatedly says no. Oh Yes. You know, yes. and then like the next morning, it's like, well, it was no. Well, they she has that conversation, right? Um, you know, uh, with Glenn Close's character, and there, and and she's and Glenn Close is like, well, you didn't really say no, you know, like you know, you did, but you didn't, right? And I'm like, I was like, this is this is terrible. Oh, I felt yeah. like grimy watching this movie at times. I've, I I did too. Yeah. Um. And, uh, you know, aside from that, like, the music. The music is... I don't know what the music thought this movie was. Sure. But there was more action going on in the music than there was in the movie. Explain. The the music sounded very, like, operatic. Like, even the style where it's like, da-da-da. Sure. I mean, it was period music. Yes, but it, it seemed to, like oversell the uh yeah i would agree with that it's almost like elizabeth where i said you know like yes. it oversells what's what's yeah. happening um i would agree i agree with that i notice it more in this one but i actually thought of that what watching it i'm like huh it's very elizabeth like but it never like to me it just seems to be coming below elizabeth as far as sure like, yeah well honestly there wasn't a lot in this film that i that, i really took to yeah i thought that John Malkovich was John Malkovich. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he does it. He does his thing. I thought, I thought Glenn Close did a great job because she always does a great job. Yeah. Um, I thought Michelle Pfeiffer, Uma Thurman and Keanu Reeves were all just kind of, I liked Uma Thurman. They were all actually Uma Thurman did do it. She always, but see all of them, Keanu Reeves, depending on the film, do a nice job, mm-hmm. you know, but I didn't think, but I thought that Pfeiffer, particularly Pfeiffer's character felt like a wet blanket. Yeah. You know, like, if you wanted me to really care about this woman, you should have given me more of this woman. Right. Um, because the film doesn't really, the film kind of wants you to be on John Malkovich's side. It wants you to be on the V-Kong side. But I don't really. No, absolutely. I don't really, I don't really get there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and the, I mean, the costumes are okay. I don't think I see the costumes I thought were, they were gorgeous. I thought they did a great job with them, especially actually I really loved the beginning where um, it shows Glenn Close and John Malkovich getting ready for the day and like the pageantry of this, yeah. of this affair every day getting ready this way. I thought that that was great. Um, the, the cinematography was not good in my opinion. No, I the, think the I think it was a, I think it was a waste of the production design like it, of, yeah. of the production design like I didn't see anything. The um the a lot of the shots I felt were a little too dark. Yep. And even like shots outside, I was I was noticing that it felt like the entire background was out of focus at times. Oh, really? Yeah. And I think it was made so it kind of highlighted the two people. Sure. Or the three people, whoever it was, outside at the time. Okay. But 
it it kind of it came it it was a little distracting. Okay, so so overall, uh, overall, it's not the worst movie this this week. Um, but I mean, most of the things I had kind of under under par for this kind of movie. Sure. The and only, you thought, so you were joking when you thought the, the this is the movie the Academy picked. No, no, I was not joking about that. No, you still think this is it? I still, well, I don't, I know it. they wasn't now, but I thought, because this feels like an Academy movie. It's sure. A, it's a period piece. It's got the, you know, it's got the nice looking outfits. Yeah. It's got John Malkovich. Yeah. You know. Sure. Well, if that was the case, Men in the Iron Mask would have won, and it didn't. Uh, well, it should have. Nor was it nominated. Yeah, I agree. I thought, I thought it was a fine, it was a cheap popcorn movie masquerading as an, Oscar nominee. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, because it was set in French aristocracy, it was nominated, but Cruel Intentions, because it's set in modern day. Because it's set in high school, is not. It's not, right. It's the the, the same thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's, it kind of gets, it gets a pass for its A, A list actors and it's, yeah. And it's, and it's money, basically. It gets a pass for its money. Yeah. I have to go back and rewatch Cruel Intentions, but I, I loved Cruel Intentions when I first saw it. I haven't seen it since um, I was a kid. I couldn't tell you. You know, but I think it has more to offer than this movie. Yeah. Um, Mississippi Burning. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, directed by Alan Parker, starring Gene Hackman and Willem Dafoe. Um, this is about two FBI agents who go down to Mississippi to investigate the disappearance of some activists in yes. the se- in the seventies. Seventies, six sixties. Yes, because they they talk about Martin Luther King. Right. Oh, yeah. Right, right, right. So, okay. So in the sixties, and so um, that's basically the setup. They've disappeared. Um, it's. I guess it's not really a, a spoiler for the. It's not really a spoiler because it's based on a true story. Um, well, I was going to say it's the beginning of the film that the oh, activists yeah. are 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 um, uh, missing for good reason. I'll say right. Yes, they're all dead. Yes, exactly. Um, and so, so it's kind of this. Um, so, it kind of this movie about two. They're not warring FBI agents, but Gene Hackman and Willem Dafoe definitely have different viewpoints about how things should be done. Gene Hackman has years of experience, where Willem Dafoe has the book. Uh, Gene Hackman has years of not only experience but Southern experience. Right, he was a sheriff in he was a sheriff in a small Mississippi town. And, right, you know he he knows how these towns work. Right, um, so that's so that's basically the story. So let's again start with let's again start with the story. I mean it's it's a based on a true story story. So see, I didn't know that. I I would I would imagine so. I'm almost positive it's based on a true story. Um. So, I mean, the story's there. The story, it's a very, it's not a story you feel good about. No. Because it highlights, it highlights a part of history that I can't fathom of happening. You can't fathom what? Like, I can't fathom, I can't fathom the thought process, nor can I fathom the humanity of the people involved. Okay. But it's a true story. And that's that's the thing, is like I don't I don't know. Like and it still goes like this still it's a very political it's a very political movie. Yeah. And 
a relevant movie. And it's still a relevant movie. And even then, like today, like I know it happens and I can't wrap my head around it. Sure, but that's not the movie's fault. That's oh, no, no, I'm your not, fault. I'm not saying yeah. it, it's the movie's fault. What I'm saying is it's a very believable movie, unfortunately. Okay. And it's written as a very believable movie. So like I can't, sometimes, I, but I can't tell if you're saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's a good thing because it highlights it. It feels real. It feels real. It's a. It's based on a true story, but that doesn't necessarily always happen. Oh sure, right, right, right. Well, um, based on is always you know things can be right. You know, like for instance, so was like Willem Dafoe's character really at odds with Gene Hackman's character in real life. That that relationship felt weird to me. Why? Like, I, I just don't know, like, what, between them at some point. So it's like, Gene Hackman's like, you know, if you keep bringing down people, more th- bad things are going to happen. Right. And Willem Dafoe's like, bring me 3,000 more people. Yeah. And at one point, I'm just like, no, for the, stop. For, stop bringing people. Yeah, that... See, that rings pretty true to me because I know people like that. We're like, you know, this is probably not a good idea. I'm going to do the exact thing. That's right. a bad idea that you told me not to do. That's that's how people are. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't also that. I mean, not looking not knowing the the real gritty facts of the history. Um, that feels like something that would happen. You know what I mean? Like, why would you why would you change that? Because I'm sure the story could still be interesting without that factor. Yeah. Um, one thing I didn't like as far as the story goes, and that's the very, very weird forced feeling of the Gene Hackman, Francis McDormand romance. Romance question mark? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that does. I agree that that, do, that that did feel weird to me, but mostly because there's a big age difference between them mm-hmm. or I don't know. Gene Hackman's look the same for like. Four he really years. Does. So, um, so his hair got a little grayer, and that's about it. Yeah. So it's some. It's a, so that's kind of hard to tell how old he is. But see, I think it. I think it humanizes that character a little bit. So it's not just we're FBI agents. You know what I mean? Like there's something. There's something a little beyond that. It's um, and it helps you sympathize with the people in the town that they're not all. KKK, like let's let's string them up and lynch them, right? You know. However, it also feels like they don't find out what happens unless she's interested in him. Because oh, she's kind of sure. the one that she's kind of the one that breaks the barrier. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah I can understand. Oh, yeah. I, aside from that, this I really like the supporting cast of this movie. Okay, so who else? Um, so you have, as the main people, you have Lex Luthor and the Green Goblin. Yep. Um, the sheriff's deputy, yeah, Brad Dorf, is Chucky from uh, the Child's Play series. Really? Yep. The, the FBI agent, when Gene Hackman brings in his team yeah. at, towards the end with the slick back hair. Yep. And is the one who's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you... I'm going to make you pay and hurt you. Yeah. That is Jigsaw from, uh, from Saw. Yes. I, that I did recognize. Like as soon as I saw him, I'm like, oh, that's, that's Tobin. He's also, it's Tobin um, Bell. It's also, um, um, I'm not, not reverse flash. Uh, Savitar from the flash. Yes. He is the voice of Savitar. He is the, the voice flash. of Savitar. Um, you have, 
uh, the one person that I I hated in this movie was uh, Ned Ryerson, the KKK leader. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm so glad Bill Murray punched you in Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day. Yep. Yep. Um. Yeah, he was. Now oh, that's where I knew him from. I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't place it. And that's the <laughs> Phil. Phil, Phil Connor. Okay, that I couldn't. Yep. It was bothering me the whole movie. Um, you forgot Michael Rooker. Uh, yeah, there's Michael Rooker he and did. one of his first films, I think. Uh, yeah, and uh, Kevin Dunn. Yep. Um, who's who? The movie that I wanted to say I'm blanking on right now. Um, I don't know. You're done. You're spent. Yeah. You Kevin. I don't know. That one. The last one didn't make sense. No, none of those were movies, by the way. No. Um. So, so you liked all those people. So that's the story. I also, I really like. I really liked this movie. Um. I think the story it missed out on an opportunity to make maybe a bigger definitive statement. I think it like hinted at stuff, mm-hmm. like say like the, if the film opens with the shot. Um with the two shot of the fountains, the color fountain and the white fountain. I really like that shot. I like that too, but I think the film missed its chance to do more things like that. Yeah. You know, it, then it got, it got wrapped up in the investigation, yeah. which are not normally my kind of movies. They're not, I'm not overly police procedurals are not usually my cup of tea. Mm-hmm. They're fine, right. you know, but there's so many of them. This felt like a, this felt like a, uh, law and order, Episode more than anything, and the music doesn't do anything to kind of help that. Well, yeah, because it was. Yeah, I don't think it was exactly like that. No, it's a little difference. Yeah, that that first shot that you mentioned with the fountains, I love that shot. For one, it's very simplistic. Yep, you see, you see both kids come up and drink water. You know, at at a different time. But it also kind of puts into very, very clear perspective of how idiotic this was because mm-hmm. you see the pipe get like in the middle of the frame is the joined pipe from both of the from the fountains oh, okay. going up Good into catch. one. It's like mm-hmm. it is the same water. Right. Yep. Yeah, you're absolutely right. No, it's a great shot. That's yeah. uh, Peter Bijou did the, the cinematography on this. And I thought over just talking dangerously liaisons, it's better than dangerous liaisons i think which is it it looks better but it doesn't have much to work with no it doesn't it's a lot of wide open space yeah but that's why i mean i think the like it's missing that chance to like that water fountain scene was like it's big artsy moment right and maybe the burning cross and stuff like that but it's kind of like missing other stuff Mm -hmm. um but that's but that's that's that the music um we go back to solid 80s synth it was it was very synth, but it also sounded like a police drama. Yeah, it was forgettable. Yeah. It was it was um, it was like I've heard it, I've heard it before, I've heard it before this, and I've certainly heard it after this. Right. Um, the production design I think was was pitch perfect for a small town, for a small Mississippi town. Yes, but it, um, but that's it. Yeah, it didn't go any further than that. Like I was missing some kind of again, which I've talked about in previous episodes. I was missing some kind of big overarching theme, you know. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I liked it how it looked, but I also just liked that it was very period. Like I could, I could distinctly tell the period of time this was, mm-hmm. and there was what there wasn't really like anything that would pull me out of it. Yeah, I, that's it. I agree. 
I agree. Um, and I thought the costumes were accurate, if nothing special. Yeah. They were just, of the time. They were clothes. They were clothes. Um, so... I, I will say, uh, so when you were watching this movie... Yeah. And you have Francis McDormand on screen. Mm-hmm. And you know it's Francis McDormand. Sure. But um, if you were to just look at her cursingly in this movie, who would you say she looked like? I don't know, because I wasn't... Hillary looking. Swank. Uh, yeah, okay, less yeah. pointy, there, but sure. There are times, like, I I sat there going, that's not Hillary Swank, right? What happened to Hillary Swank? I haven't seen her uh, in a movie in a while. She's done some lower-budget movies. Has she? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, she still does some stuff. Okay. Um, but I mean, other than that, this, uh, this beats out, this pretty handily beats out, uh, Dangerous Liaisons. Yeah. Um. Yeah, okay. It's, it does what it does well, mm-hmm. but it doesn't do anything special. Sure. Do you, you don't really like Friends, but um, there's an episode. There's an episode where um, Chandler and Joey face off against Monica and Rachel. Um, yeah. For trivia, like who knows each other better? Yes. And there's a question where it's like uh, Rachel's. Rachel says her favorite movie is Dangerous Liaisons, but her actual favorite movie is Weekend at Bernie's. Um, and after watching Dangerous Liaisons, I was like, yeah, I would never say this is my favorite movie. Yeah, no. That's, I can't. I'd rather say Weekend at Bernie's. Right. Yeah. But it was, this was a big deal when it came out. But again, I think it was m- missing something. You know what? It felt almost like Amadeus Light. Yeah. You know? Like... I just it just didn't give me the scope that it think it had to go back to Angel's Liaisons. Yeah. Plus it had the hate hooting at the end. The hate hooting? Yeah, when she shows up to the play oh, and everyone's yeah. like hoot 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 hoot. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't mind that. That was pretty funny. That was, but I'm like that's what kind of throws you off, but yeah. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. Um next working girl. Yes. That is a movie. Yes, yeah, it is. It right here. It's a, it's a Mike Nichols movie starring Melanie Griffith, Harrison Ford, Sigourney Weaver, Alec Baldwin, and Joan Cusack. And Oliver Platt. And Oliver Platt for yes. a very, very limited amount of time. Yes, I thought... Skinny Oliver Platt. I took a picture of him when I first saw him on screen because I figured he was just going to be a background actor. Oh, yeah. But then he had talking, and I'm like, oh, that kind of ruins That the ruined joke. the whole joke. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I like Oliver Platt a lot. <sighs> so do I. First movie I ever saw him in, Lake Placid. Mm. Really? Same movie I also saw. First movie I ever saw Brendan Gleeson in. And um, Bill Pullman. No. Who's in two Betty. of these Oscar-nominated movies. Betty White. There we go. Betty White. Yeah, probably the first thing I ever saw Betty White yeah. in, too. Um, so, Working Girl. Yeah. Where do you want to start with this? Um, well, the story is about... A Working Girl. A Working Girl. Yes. Where she's... Um, um, what's her character's name? Person, I don't, I don't person. actually write down Melanie Griffith. I use yeah. actress. I use. The oh, I was. Names. I thought you were act. I thought you were asking like character name. I'm like, I don't write that stuff down. You guys asking what her character name was? I was asking that. Oh, then yeah, that's okay. I don't write that stuff either. Okay, because we're talking about the people, right? The real people. So, um, so Melanie Griffith's character is, you know, this entry level secretary type. Mm-hmm. You know, um, not um. Well, I mean, she's working on Wall Street, basically stocks and this and that, and one thing leads to another, and she work she has to work for a different company under Sigourney Weaver, yes. who ends up 
um, breaking her leg and um, Tess, her name is Tess. Um, and Miss Tess Mockara. Yeah. And so um, Melanie Griffith kind of takes her spot and gets this whole deal arranged and she meets Harrison Ford, who's part of the deal. And they, you know, they have a thing and you know, it's a whole big thing, right? It's a romantic comedy, which feels super weird as an Oscar nominated movie for best picture. It tells you a lot about the eighties. It is actually unabashedly eighties rom-com. Oh my, if I didn't know this movie was made in 1988, I would assume it was a parody of the (laughs) eighties. (laughs) <laughs> like the clothes, the hair, yeah. everything. The it, young Kevin Spacey. The young Kevin Spacey in one scene. <laughs> he was great. Just like doing coke in the seat next to her. He's like, here, let's watch this informational video and yeah. it's porn. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, he was great. Also aged well, Kevin Spacey. He's yeah. he's looked pretty much the same for the last thirty years. Yeah, he he's put on a couple pounds, but that's about it. Sure, but even only in the last few has he done that. Yeah. So if you think 88 to say even 2008. Like if you watch this movie and then watch Superman returns, he looks basically the same. Oh yeah. Even the first season of house of cards, he pretty much looks the same. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so, so that's the story. I thought the story, it was cute, but it wasn't anything special. I didn't like, I could, by the end of the movie, I was like, why was this nominated for best picture? It's good. And I think it makes great statements for the most part. 80s great statements about women's liberation and in the right. workplace and stuff like that. Right. You know, and we've seen that plenty of times now. A bigger statement in 1989, for sure. 88. Well, yeah, but it's nominated for 89. Right. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Um, but I don't... But it's not... It's a, it's a rom-com. It is. Um, yeah, I mean, the writing's... The writing's good. The writing does what it does, and it's it cute. does it well. It's cute. It's got some funny moments. Um, yeah. The writing wasn't the strongest suit. Everything else was the strongest suit for this movie. You think so? So yeah. let's talk So let's talk about the acting then. Uh, the acting, aside from Harrison Ford, who for some reason it took this movie. I like Harrison Ford. Yeah. But it took this movie to, for me to go, he, he doesn't act. Oh, see, I had the exact opposite reaction where I watched this movie and I was like, wow, a different character. This is great. See, I felt it was the same character. Yeah, I actually felt it was a different one. <laughs> well, there you have it. Yeah. I guess he actually did a good job. Then. Like, like to me, this is just Indiana Jones in a business suit. Yeah, see, I didn't see and I didn't find that at all. Okay. I, because Indiana Jones is fumbling like mm-hmm. it's like a it's a miracle that Indiana Jones is ever still anywhere. alive, that he yeah. ever gets anywhere and that he's still alive. Okay. Most of the, like most of the time he'd be dead if it wasn't for intervention yeah. from something, you know, bad dates, yeah. you know, whatever. So I, I didn't find that. And he's certainly not Han Solo here. Yeah. You know, he's not the president from air force one. He's not Dr. Richard Kimball from the fugitive. Yeah. Although you know, he's was- not Jack Ryan. I will say, I think my, I think the scene that I like him the most in in this movie mm-hmm. is when she's quite obviously passed out drunk after they first meet. Yeah, and like he's he's carrying her up the up the stairs yeah. to his apartment. Yep, and you know he's having a normal conversation. Then he puts her in the chair. Yep, and he's like, "So, do you want something to drink?" <laughs> well, that's what I, I got because he's kind of because Harrison Ford. I think we can both agree as. Single men, or straight men, I should say, um, is very charming. Is very 
Um, he's very charming. He's very yeah. good looking man. Yeah. But I liked this kind of like, I don't know what to do here. Yeah. Car- Harrison Ford. Yeah. Um, I, I like that. I like that he also takes care of her in that moment where, cause he asked her where she lives. Like right. I'll try to get you back and she is unresponsive and he's like, okay, well I'll beat the gentleman here. I know what to do. Yeah. But I think he's kind of like, I think the absurdity of the situation struck him at that moment. Mm-hmm. And that's why he's like, you want to drink? Like what's happening? Yeah. Yeah. Although when they wake up the next morning and she's, she's obviously out of her clothes. Like for a second, I'm like, uh, no. Yeah, see, I, I assumed that he had kind of put her there because the dress is so expensive. Because they make a point of saying that's a $6,000 dress or something like that. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. Um, and she she has a panic attack. Yeah. Because she's just essentially stealing that outfit. Essentially. Yeah. I think this movie... I think this movie showcased a lot of... A lot of really strong acting from a lot of different people. But oh, I mean, absolutely. like, but Sigourney Weaver, like, Sigourney Weaver is always good. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't think she was doing anything outstanding in no. this film, yeah. but she's Sigourney Weaver. She's good in everything. Um, I felt, I felt Melanie Griffith. Yeah. Was really good in this. And there was just some, like, small things that made me think that. Like, when she's, when she's secretarying. Um, and when she's taking uh, Sigourney Weaver's place, mm-hmm. and then when she's out with other people, she has the very distinct Brooklyn accent. Yeah, when she's with her friends in that Staten and, Island accent. Yes, yeah, and she doesn't when she's in her professional attire. Like she makes a conscious effort to not sound like that. Oh, that's good. That's a good catch. And um, and it's it, you see that very differently when Joan Cusack pretends to be her secretary. Like Joan Cusack is just like, can I get you anything? Coffee, tea, (laughs) me, you know, she's like, uh, she's like the secretary from ghostbusters. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, which the Courtney Weaver was in. Yeah. Um, I, I agree. I think that, I think that everyone really, but I mean like you're looking at a film that any one of these people, have headlined or could headline their own movie at one point, yeah. even down to Kevin Spacey in his one scene, <laughs> like is Kevin space is Kevin fricking Spacey. Yep. You know, um, you have Alec Baldwin as the boyfriend who's Alec fricking Baldwin, a, a very sleazy boyfriend, super sleazy. Uh, yeah. I'm going to cheat on you. You're going to walk in on me. And then, you know what? At our friend's engagement party, I'm going to propose cause you're going to say, yes. I know what a weird, what a weird guy. Yeah. Um, with his eighties hair. My favorite was when they came out so of their weird. friend's wedding and yeah. like the suits with the rough and the, like, <laughs> Oh boy, those were some gross tuxes. Um, so I think, I think the movie really sells the period and it really sells. It's, I think it really sells its main character. The music is eighties. It's good, but it's again, it's nothing special. Um, wasn't really, it was like, it was there because it was there. Right. Um, yeah. I think I think aesthetically, production design, the cinematography, I think it all f- works so well together yes, as can, a product of its time. You can tell exactly where this is supposed to take place, what time frame this is supposed to take yep. place. Mm-hmm. Um, the music, though. We, we got a theme song. We did get a theme song. Yeah, you know, we got a we got a theme song, and we got like 
eighties music galore. You know, I remember, I remember after I had watched it, um, you texted me and you're like, you know, you were writing down your things for it. And you're like, who who did the music for it? And I'm like, oh, you haven't watched it yet, have you? No, no, I haven't. Carly Simon did the music for it. Carly Simon did the did the song. Yep. Um, but I'm like, you're like, I can't find a composer. I'm like, that's because it's an '80s movie. There was and, there's some, and it's just it's just forty renditions of one song. Yeah, I think the the movie. The movie did exactly what it was supposed to do, but as we've talked about before, Best Picture is really that movie that should be making some kind of statement or right. leaving you with some kind of emotional resonance at the end. And I guess rom-coms always leave some kind of emotional resonance mm-hmm. because you either want them to get together or you don't. Right. Um, and this movie did, um, and I think it it wraps up. I think it wraps itself up nicely. Oh, I don't think I've ever told you this. So the scene where they go to the wedding, where they crash the wedding. Yes. Um, uh, Harrison Ford and Melanie Griffith. So um, Harrison Ford makes a thing like, who's that, you know, that, that girl over there? Like, is it Elizabeth Betsy? Bitsy, right? Mm-hmm. And he goes and dances with this woman. Um, my mother knows her. Oh, does she? Yeah. I can't remember how exactly, but I think they shared like a, a friend group in college or right. something like that. And so because I've... I've seen Working Girl or bits of it before because my mother used to watch it a bunch. Mm-hmm. And so, and every time that scene would come on, she's like, there's my friend. There's yeah. my friend Marceline. <laughs> um, and so, um, so I've touched the hand that touched the hand of Harrison Ford. Just saying. Nice. Yeah. It's close yeah. enough. Yeah. But music, top notch. Yeah. Uh, the theme song, I like the, I like the parallel of the theme song about, you know, the new Jerusalem and women breaking the glass ceiling. Yeah. Which is odd to say in a movie where her boss is actually a female. Agreed. Like, like it's not like... But, but she's a female that steals ideas to get ahead. You know, like she's not the, the, she's not the ideal. Right. And so this is, a, this is a film about the female ideal be getting ahead mm-hmm. on, you know, being yeah. on top. So I like, I like that. Because yeah. it's not... This is not the 40s. It's not the 50s. You know what no, I mean? No, this is so the 80s. It's the 80s. So they have to make a different statement yeah. than you would a couple of decades earlier. And that statement should be put Joan Cusack in more movies. I haven't seen Joan Cusack. I haven't seen Joan Cusack in a movie in a while. Uh, last year, Mother's Day. Okay, so Mother's Day was the last thing I saw Joan Cusack yeah. in. Yeah. How dare you remind me of that film? That was a great film. Um, so overall, it's a good movie. Yeah. It's really good. I liked it. I enjoyed it. I yeah. yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for what it was. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Uh, next film, The Accidental Tourist. Yes, yes. Directed by Lawrence Kasdan, written by Lawrence Kasdan, and starring William Hurt, Kathleen Turner, Gina Davis, and Amy Wright. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so, but, so go ahead. So the story is William Hurt's character, uh, Macon, right, is. Um, is married to Kathleen Turner and they, before the film start, have lost their son. Um, and he, he was, um, he was murdered. Um, he was, he was in a, a pizza place and there was a robbery or whatever. So, um, so the film starts with us getting to know Macon, uh, Harrison Ford, uh, I mean, uh, William Hurt's character. And he is a writer of, travel books mostly for 
businessmen. And one of them, his most famous one is the accidental tourist. And he goes like, this is how you travel and kind of make yourself feel at home if you don't like traveling, if you're on the road a lot, whatever. And so we see him on packing for some kind of trip as there's a narration, blah, blah, blah. And so he finally gets home and Kathleen Turner, his wife, tells him that she wants a divorce. So the, then the movie is really about him after losing his child a year previously, now his marriage is falling apart and he's trying to pick up the pieces of his life. Mm-hmm. He meets Gina Davis who plays, um, who plays a dog trainer um, because his little dog is yippity and needs to be trained. And they kind of go through this romance of some sort. Right. And that's the film. Yeah. Yeah. You, I can tell you didn't like this movie. Oh, I did not like this movie. Why didn't you like this uh, movie? This was a movie that I texted you Oh, um, uh, sure. That was like, I, I checked how much time was left several million times. This was all the fun of Thin Red Line without <laughs> gorgeous visuals. Um, sure. Okay. Um, I didn't, I didn't, um, I don't disagree. No, I, I, I liked this movie enough for what it was, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah. Um, this man's this man's struggle in his in his own life, but I don't. But and I think the movie kind of holds itself together because of William Hurt. I think he gives a really strong performance. I think he tries. I think he. I think he gives a really. I, it's a character that I've never seen him play before. You know, and and I think, but he's not an overly likable ca- main character. Yeah. Um, and so. Uh, and I think that Gina Davis, who does a great job in everything, is also not overly likable. She's kind of annoying. Oh, yeah, she is. And so I, I think, I think their performances are are certainly strong. They're definitely characters, mm-hmm. um, but they're maybe not. They're maybe they're maybe they're not doing a service to the to the story to see i think the biggest problem is that this doesn't have a good story you don't like it you don't like the story of this man no kind of like, pulling the pieces just, of his life back together no why not because it's just very like the way it's done yeah is just very forgettable okay like by the time like by the time i was halfway through the movie i kind of forgot the first half of the movie and by the time I got to the end, I kind of, you know. Oh, sure. You know, I don't, I don't disagree with you there. You know, the best part of this movie for me was Cogsworth. Oh, yeah. David Ogden, um, David, David Ogden Steers was in it. Yeah. And um, I can't remember his name, but the, his other, so, the, so there's um, a, his siblings, two brothers and a sister. Right. And the, the guy with blonde hair is the dad from the Page Master. Uh, yes. Um, and he's all Ed Bagley Jr. Thank you, yeah, Ed Bagley Jr. Thank you. Um, I liked I liked both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I felt like the three brothers were very samey. They were very samey. Um, and there's the kind of there's yeah. The Macon kind of, was really the only one to quote unquote make it, and even then, when he makes it with his life, he ends up going back into the house. Yeah, and where they all live. It's kind of like it's kind of like the family just always falls into that groove. Like no matter what they try and do, they always end up back in that groove. Sure, um, some families he, are like that. And he kind of mentions that with the sister who goes off, gets married to Bill and Pullman. Then, to Bill Pullman, and 
nothing happens. Like they don't get into a fight. They don't do anything. Yeah, that was real. She weird. just kind of goes back. That was kind of, well. I think it's making statements about that family and about the need to kind of they don't get out of a groove. Right. They don't. They don't want to. Like they. It's right. Just, the, it's us four to hell with everybody else. Right. And and I mean, and, but I the courtship between Bill Pullman and Amy Wright was very odd. To begin with? Well, this this movie doesn't do that good for a passage of time. No, it doesn't. It's it it looks like pretty much the same season. Right. Except like there's the wedding like there's the wedding, mm-hmm. which is definitely in the which is definitely in the spring summer era. You know what I mean? So yeah. like it's there, mm-hmm. but I think but I think it's the whole film for whatever reason is kind of dark. John Bailey's cinematography like doesn't it doesn't kind of, it doesn't really show a lot of nature and time or anything. So it's it's all kind of inside the house or whatever. So you, you're missing. I know what you mean. You're missing. Yeah. You're you're missing that. You know. Hey, it's been about a year. You yeah. know. Until basically when Kathleen Turner comes back into the picture and they're like, Hey, it's been a year. Right. Like, oh, has it? Yeah. Oh, okay. And what I don't seem to get is like. When when Macon and Gina Davis are kind of courting, yeah, you know he's he's in the there's a scene where he's in the car with uh, with his brother, yep. uh, David Ogden Sears, who tells him who is Cogsworth. If people don't know why we're why we love David Ogden Sears, right? Well, he was also in Mash. Yes, I know, but I love um, him because he's he Cogsworth. was also the Martian Manhunter. He was, but I was going to say the guy from Pocahontas, uh, the guy with the dog ran the ship. Uh, Oh, Rad, yeah. um, Radigan, no. Rath, uh, Rathcliffe? <laughs> Rat, Ratcliffe. Okay. Um, Whew, that was tough. So, yeah, he was also in that. So, there's a scene where they're in the car, and he's like, this, this girl's nothing special. Like, I don't see why you want to leave. I don't, I don't see why you want to do anything mm-hmm. just to be with her. And... It also got me to wondering, like, did he have the same conversation when he was going after Kathleen Turner? Because. Oh, sure. Or is it, you know, she's, I don't know. Right, because they were like, this girl's not good for you. Right. Blah, blah, blah. But arguably, she is really good for him as the Because she's trying to take him out shows. of that comfort zone. Right, exactly. And I mean, and she works hard at taking him out of that comfort zone. But I think it works. But the brother also, somebody says, you know, is is it about her or is it because she's got a small boy and right. now you feel like you're worth something again? And so I think the movie is making, I think the movie is making good statements about its main character, about Macon. Mm-hmm. Like it's letting you think about, you know, him and his actions, yeah. but I don't think it's letting you take that into a, a wider scope. Yeah. You know, she, she not only trains his dog, but she trains his heart to love again. Yeah, that should have been the tagline. That would have been great. That was, you know, your that would have been a better tagline than anything in this movie. You've missed your calling. Um, so this is a John Williams score. Yes, poor John Williams. You know, if you didn't, I mean, it kind of sounds like eighties John Williams, yeah. but um, it's really not. I mean, it's I not w- the kind. It's not the kind of film I feel that you hired John Williams for. Yeah, like I liked it. Um, and I thought it was good and I thought it was better than some of the other ones we've heard. Like we said, uh, saving private Ryan, it was kind of nothing kind of stood out. Sure. But that's because the, what the, the stuff that technically would stand out, I think in something like save a private Ryan, right. they, 
there wasn't music and it was the sound effects of war that were your soundtrack. Exactly. So, Where this one, I feel the the music is brought a little bit more to the forefront than sure. Saving Private Ryan. Uh, while, well, I mean, you're talking 10 years of difference and a totally different kind of film, yeah. so I wouldn't compare um, them. While I still probably would be hard-pressed to hum anything from this movie, the music, I think, is the best part of this movie. Oh, yeah, you think so? Yeah. Yeah, see, I think William Hurt's performance is the best part of this movie. Whether you liked him or you didn't like him, you have to say that it's a good performance because it, it let you think about a character. You know, yeah. you weren't looking at William Hurt going, what are you doing, man? You know, sometimes you know, I was. Yeah, see, I wasn't. But to be fair, that might not be his character. I think I was just saying that about the movie. What are you doing, movie? Yeah, what are you, what are you, doing? What are you doing with your life, William Hurt, that you signed on to this? Yeah, I'm, so oh, overall, I think it was fine. The movie was fine. Yeah, this movie is my my lowest rated one of the week. This is not my lowest rated one of the week. Actually. Really? No, it's not. Mm, I I feel I feel we're gonna have a throwdown then. Interesting. Yeah. Last film. Yes. Rain Man. Yes, definitely. Definitely Rain Man. Definitely Rain Man. Directed by Barry Levinson, starring Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman. Definitely Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. Um. This is the first time I had seen this movie. This is the first time I've seen this movie. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, all I've seen, all I saw uh, out of this series before was Dangerous Liaisons. Um, uh, mine was just bits of Working Girl. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so here we are. Um, the story is that um, Tom Cruise's character is... Um, He's a car salesman. He's got his own little business, and they're kind of in dire straits. He finds out his dad died, and so, but they're they're very estranged. And he basically, through a series of events, finds out his dad didn't really leave him any money, but left it to his brother Dustin Hoffman, who Tom Cruise didn't know existed basically until that moment. Um, and so Dustin Hoffman is sitting on three million dollars that he doesn't care about because he doesn't understand the concept of money because he, um, um, he's, he's a savant right. type. Um, and he's got, um, autism. Uh, autism. Thank you. Yeah. I was going to say Asperger's and that wasn't right. Um, and he has autism. Actually, there was a great scene in this movie where Tom Cruise tries to like say he, there in a small town, he's like he has autism, and the woman right. and the nurse is like, "I don't know what that means. Can you describe yeah, it?" That is that is a really good scene. Yeah, and I was like, oh, um, really? you know, it's funny you said he doesn't understand the concept of money." Yeah, and one of my notes is the scene where they're trying to demonstrate that, and they're like, "How much does a car cost? A hundred dollars. How much is a candy bar? A hundred dollars." So my note actually says, hundred dollar car, yay! Hundred dollar <laughs> candy bar, boo." <laughs> Hundred dollar car, yay! Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I made a poor decision uh, recently. If that's <laughs> if uh, if they're selling cars for a hundred bucks, um, so I think the story is. I don't think it's grandiose. So uh-huh. I, you know, it's a very it's simple story. It's about Tom Cruise basically learning not to be an ass and to actually care about something in his life that's not money, and, right? And that that's through. His brother. Well, I mean, he also cares about the rose bushes. 
Oh, I got the rose bushes. <laughs> I got exactly what I wanted. Oh, I mean, three million. Who needs three million dollars? I got the rose bushes. Right. I, that was yeah. That was another one of my like. Yeah. Who who got the rose bushes? Yeah. Okay. Um. So, the writing. Sure. Um, I feel like Barry Morrow and Ronald Bass. If you're okay. wondering, this movie starts off with Tom Hanks trying to sell Tom Cruise. F- right. <laughs> the other guy. Don't confuse the Toms. <laughs> so Tom Cruise is trying to sell four Lamborghinis. Sure. That is apparently having problems getting past emissions. Yeah. So right, he's because got... the, they, the EPA wants to clear up smog because it's the 80s. Right. So Also a relevant topic for today. <laughs> so he um, he's in debt over these. He's in debt over his eyeballs to yep. these. When we find out his father died, yeah, he was on. He was going on uh, a weekend getaway mm-hmm. with his girlfriend. Yep, you know from Hot Shots. Oh, that's yes. Thank you. She thank is Ramada you. in Hot Shots. Um, and he finds out her father died. Yep, uh, his, his father, father died. died. Um, and he turns around. And he's like, "All right, I'm going to drop you off." And she's like, "No, I want to go with you." Um, so there's that movie. Yeah. That you have that beginning to. Sure. Uh, and then you kind of go into this, you kind of go into this road trip movie mm-hmm. where he finds out he has a brother. Cause he also got the car. Yes. He did get the car that he yeah. was never allowed to drive. That's right. And then he found out his brother could drive it on the weekend. That's right. Um, so he finds out he has a brother, he goes there and his initial idea is like, you know what? I'm going to take him and I'm going to ransom him for half of the $3 million. Yeah. Um, which, all right, that's, that's a pretty sleazy move. Yeah, extremely. Um, I mean, the man sells Lamborghinis. Yeah. But I mean, you can say like he's, all this stuff is kind of getting thrown at him. Um, his father cut him out of the will, even though they weren't particularly close. Sure. Um, so I'm willing to forgive him that discretion. However, I don't think you're supposed to like him for that. No, no, no. But I, I can forgive him as time goes on. Sure. Um, but I feel like the road trip movie, it kind of devolves into is different from that first 30 minutes of like setting up this car dealership that he's like, he's underwater on. Okay. And it doesn't really go back to that until like thirty minutes left in the movie. Like, oh, oh we gotta sure. we gotta figure out how to wrap up that storyline. Sure, that's a good point. So if you had almost forgotten that was a bit right, and then so if like you had watched the first third of the movie and the first half hour, say, and then gone, oh shoot, I have to go, and then you come back a few days later and yeah. you pick up when they've like just got on the road, you're watching a different movie. Yeah. And, like, the whole, like, counting, you know, the whole thing where they go to Vegas and counting cards, which I thought was a bigger part of the story than it actually turned out to be. Sure. Um, it's very minimal. Right. Like, it's just, like, they they only do that so he can get the money to pay off his loans. Sure. Um, and you could argue whether or not he's using his brother at that point. I don't think he is. Yeah, I don't think he is either. Um, however, but my thing is like, it just feels like, again, it, it's like, oh, we got to go back to that first movie we were doing and resolve that before we finish off the movie that most of this was about. Okay. I'm going to counter argue here. Okay. That I think that, so the whole big thing is that they, they need to get to California from Ohio. Right. And they can't fly. They can't fly. He won't get on a plane. Well, he'll get on a plane. 
Because he'll, he'll get the, on the only one that flies out of Australia. Right. Because yeah. that's never crashed. Right. Um, and they can't take the highway. And they can't take the, right. And they can't take the highway because it's dangerous. It's right. a dangerous highway. Um, and so Charlie Babbitt, Tom Cruise's character, um, says, okay, we'll take, you know, we'll take the back roads or whatever. And we'll drive there and right. it'll take, it'll take the week basically. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of, so once that plan is settled, that where they, they go into this, a different rhythm. I right. think, I think that's where, that's where the rhythm changes. However, I think you're supposed to feel what, what Charlie Babbitt's feeling, Charlie, uh, Tom Cruise's feeling that, um, he is, he's, um, he's kind of forgetting about the stuff that he thinks is so important right. and focusing on what actually matters in which is his brother that he has just discovered. Yeah. So they do try and keep it alive. Like every time they stop, he, you see him on the phone for at least yeah, 30 seconds. Right. Exactly. There's, there's a movement to it, right. but I think, but I think pushing it back is like, it's because it's also beginning to be in the back of his mind. Like even the way that they, he, they try to leave for California and the way that they enter it is much different. He's much calmer and yeah. he's even confident that like in his plan has changed. It's not about getting the 1.5 million anymore. It's about getting custody of Raymond. Right. Which unfortunately I felt was rushed. Sure. I mean, it's only been a week. Not, not his motivation. What I mean is like the resolution of the film I feel is rushed. Well, I think it kind of, that's because the film kind of just it ends runs out of time. It runs it, it runs out of time. It's really more about the journey than the destination, yeah. I guess. Um, and so, but it's not again. But the film's also not about him getting custody of Raymond. That's not what it's about. It's about Charlie becoming an adult, a, essentially a brother, a brother a, right, a functioning yeah. member of society. Um, I did like kind of the minor. Not necessarily throwaway thing, but the minor thing of like he like he didn't know he had a brother because he forgot. In his mind, his brother was replaced by an imaginary friend called Rain Man. That's right. And who used to sing to him, and that was his brother. Mm-hmm. Um that Rain I Man actually, Rain Man. Right. Good. Which I actually liked. Um this I like the way you say that. I actually liked it. Like you were expecting to hate it, and then you're like, "But I." Well, I mean, sometimes it. it's like, "Oh, that's that's cute," I guess. Mm. But this kind of worked. I think it worked. I also I think it worked because it took a long time to get there. Yes. Yeah. Um, but this movie, for for all other things, lives and dies on the acting. Totally. Totally. Like. Both, like uh, Dustin Hoffman, won the Academy Award this year, if I remember correctly, for an for an, an excellent reason. He is, yeah, no, he's perfect. He this. is one of he is one of the best actors, bar none. Yeah, ever. like this is this is such a great performance. Um, it like could his, be better than Hook. Just saying, it's possible. Uh, that's, that's, uh, I'm not sure not though. Necessarily a difficult. Case oh, you shut your face. Um, he is the world's greatest Captain Hook. <laughs> shut your face. I don't know. Christopher Walken, just saying. No, you shut your you shut your face. So um What so did I just say? Shut your Dustin face. Dustin Hoffman yeah. <laughs> um, you know, put in a lot of effort and research into this role. Yep. Um just the way he 
the way like he holds himself mm-hmm. or presents himself most of the time, like his head's cocked and he's always kind of slightly looking down. Yep. What he does with his hands and his yep. eyes. And, and I mean, his eyes especially, because there are times like he's talking and his eyes are just kind of darting everywhere. Yeah, he's trying to absorb everything. Yeah. Um, that being said, yeah, I think Tom Cruise does a really good job. Look, I'm going to say this. Tom Cruise is good in everything. Yes. I'm just saying it. He may be a weird guy. Right. And I'm not saying he's not, whatever. But I've never seen a Tom Cruise movie where I've walked away and said, Tom Cruise, you were bad in that movie. I've walked away and said, that's not a good movie. Right. And I've walked away going, ooh, you probably shouldn't have been in that movie. But I've never walked away saying he was bad in that movie. Yes. um, It is one of the, it's one of the absolute tragedies of human history that he has not won an Academy Award. Mm, I disagree. I have yet to see a role that I think he deserves an Academy Award for. Well, spoiler alert, we will. And if you don't think it, we're going to have a really bad argument that week. What movie? Few Good Men. Oh, was he nominated? Uh, Actually, I believe he was. Um, That's 92, 94, so... uh, That is the same year as Shawshank Redemption, if I remember correctly. Then... Ooh. That year is stacked. That year is stacked. That's, that that's the 94 Academy Awards yeah. then. That is a... No, 93 Academy Awards. Shoot, it's somewhere 93, yeah. 94. But um, I really like him in this. Um, like, because... Few good, I'm just thinking about A Few Good Men. Sorry, that's a great movie. Because of how good Dustin Hoffman is and how realistic feeling Dustin Hoffman is... Mm-hmm. The fact that Tom Hank, uh, Tom Cruise. Why do you keep doing that, man? I don't know. Maybe because it's such a good acting performance that I just correlated with Tom Hanks. Sure. Like I like Tom Cruise, I really do. Um, but like he has to turn in a performance equally as good, so he doesn't look smaller. Yeah, in these scenes that Dustin Hoffman can easily overpower him. I agree, and he has to sell. But Dustin Hoffman's character, Raymond, doesn't really change throughout the film. It's part of his character. Right. There's some very, very, very subtle things at the end. Like at the end, he makes, you know, Kmart is shit. You know, yep. or, you know, like that's, you made a joke that's yes. good. That's, you know, progress. Right. Um, but it's Tom Cruise that has an arc. And so you have to believe his arc. Yes. As, at the same time that you're believing Dustin Hoffman has autism. Yeah. Um, this movie... So you've seen Tropic Thunder, right? Yep. Okay, so you so you know the uh pardon my part of my language in the slang, but the line, you know, yeah. where Downey Jr. Yeah. is like, you never go full retard. You know, Sean Penn, you know, Tom Hanks and he goes through all these different films. Right. And um and I was I'm just wondering where this film sits in that, you know, like Forrest Gump region of you know, um, of, you know, a mental handicap. Like, how does it stack up against? I Not am how does it stack and... up against other? Yeah, like I am Sam or whatever. Not that. How does it stack up against other actors who have played who have played roles people with mental handicap? But like, mm-hmm. does the film play it for? Does the film? Does the film? 
given it isn't an authentic mental handicap or is it a Hollywood mental handicap? You know what I mean? Authentic. You think it's authentic? Yes. I think it's a bit Hollywood. Really? Yeah. How so? I think some I think I think some of it is um I think I think some of it is authentic like, like the way we his body language and everything like that but there's still something about it that at the end of the day feels hollywood as opposed to something very visceral and real okay yeah, yeah. but that's just but that's just my opinion yeah um so one of the questions i have yeah is there's a very Weird scene, and this is one of the few things that I I dock this movie on. You talk about the sex scene where he comes in to the room because that was weird. Oh, that was that was kind of weird. Yeah, um, close was the elevator scene. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. Um, so I'm gonna go and say I, I'm gonna go ahead and say that it was not her actions towards Raymond were not malicious or weird but she was just trying to help in the way that she thought she could right because he was very raymond was very clearly disappointed that the, he didn't have a quote-unquote a date right right and so this was kind of her she wasn't able to contribute anything for to for him and so this was kind of her way of being able to help yeah um it just felt weird yeah i agree it Definitely felt weird, and I, yeah. I, I, the dancing was fine. It was the kiss. It was the kiss. It just didn't. It just didn't. That's not what he was looking for. You know what I mean? And so right. I think, like, I think you should have kind of. She should have met Raymond where he was, as opposed to taking it a step further. Yeah. Um. Plus, I agree. Plus, you know, she's dating his brother. Right. And she's like the worst two timing person. At all because she says it after the fact. She's like, "Ha, ah, thanks for that date in the elevator." Oh uh, yeah, yeah. See, yeah, but I don't. I'm not taking that as like. Yeah, I would not take that as a moment of like, oh, she cheated on no, I, on him. Well, you know, on I mean, Charlie, she did kiss him. Yeah, but I, I get, but it's all in this like. I think it's in this warmth, like this way of like, this is how I can help him in the little bit of ways that he can, because it's really at that point all about can Raymond function in society. So he doesn't have to go back right to Ohio. Yeah. And so it, this is kind of, this is a step along society. This is what people do. So, you know, this is, you know, yeah. that that's where I think she was coming from. Um, the film doesn't explicitly say that, but that's kind of where I'm taking it from. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you say there was another one? Do you have another scene? Uh, no, that's pretty much the only thing. Uh, the, uh, one of the other things I knocked it on, oddly enough, with the same actress, um, my hatred for any women's fashion that has pants like so far above the waist. I think she looked good. She looked good, but the pants were high. Okay, well, I'm not not gonna I'm not not gonna film down for that when they're looking at the style of the day. I mean, we could talk about costumes. I thought for a film set in the '80s, the, they were pretty timeless clothes. Yeah, not all of it. I mean, like the hair in some instances, you know, and 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 maybe maybe patterns or something like that. But this movie could be set in a few other different, yeah, you know, times. Um, 
And so it didn't, it wasn't, it just wasn't working girl where right. e- what everyone was wearing yeah. was so evidently, yeah. um, aside from them continuously saying Kmart. Sure. But Kmart's still around. I think that was the joke. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, he needs to get it from Kmart. That's the joke. Right. Yeah. Um, cinematography, the, the open shots look good. I agree. Um, they're called wide shots, not open yep. shots. Um, I meant the shots in the open. Like outside, which were wide shots. Well, okay. Don't argue with them. They were wide shots. Look, if I'm just going to agree with you all the time, this is going to be a very boring podcast. Look, that is true, but they're but like <laughs> opinions are different than what the what what the shots actually were. Right. Um, I think this is the best cinematography out of the five movies um, because the camera wasn't afraid to do things. Okay, like it wasn't afraid to help express emotion along with along with the actors you know wasn't afraid to get in close and go away yeah. and move around and it wasn't like it um like for instance i thought was it what was very clever was when when charlie was talking to his girlfriend when she was in the tub and she got out and the way that the camera stayed on him and there was a single cam and it kind of it, it um it was a um shaky cam and it it, it followed it followed him around. So it gave her time to get into the bedroom and put clothes on and all, all that stuff. Like right. you didn't need to, you need to see any of it. It wasn't right. necessary for the film to show that. And mm-hmm. I, I liked the way that transitioned out. Um, and then the camera kind of being like bouncy along with the way that he's bouncy and yeah. like all that, all that kind of stuff. I thought it did really well. Whereas I actually noticed it as opposed to like sitting back after a movie and going, yeah, I'm sure they did something. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I didn't get that in other films, except for maybe Dangerous Liaisons. There were a couple of times where, um, you know, the shot um, between editing and cinematography, like, shots would linger, um, yeah. you know, to express something. But I really felt it more here in Rain Man than any other place. Production design was it was good. A lot of different locations. I, I really liked the car. The car was great. The car was great. Uh, although... Um, because of the caliber of these movies, yeah. some of the things that I used to factor in are very minute. What do you mean? Um, one of them being uh, when Raymond, well, not when Raymond is driving, that has a whole other thing. Like mm-hmm. Raymond's whole thing is I'm an excellent driver and they let him drive around the circle in the hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he hits the curb like four times. Like, no, you're not an ac- you're not an excellent driver, actually. Sure. You're a good, you're, you're a good driver for someone who doesn't drive. Right. Why? I don't understand what your problem is. Though. But no, I was another scene that okay. I started to mix up with that scene. Um, uh, Tom Cruise. Yep. Is in Very the car. Very good. Thank you. And he gets upset at something. And he slams his hands down on the car. While they're inside. And the steering wheel noticeably bounces up and down. Like, it's not actually a real steering wheel. Really? Yes. Oh, I did not notice that. Yeah. That's... So you didn't like the goof, basically. Yeah. I was I like, mean, oh, every... that... Because that seemed pretty obvious. I'm sorry, I didn't notice at all. Yeah. And every, it's weird. I, I mean, every film's got goofs. It does, but it was like... I'm not... I don't usually pick up on that. Takes Sometimes it takes me... You know, it takes me a couple yeah. of views. You know, that's the... I actually had... I went back sometimes. to make sure I saw what I saw. 
Are you like, sure you saw yeah. what you saw? Yeah. So, I mean, there was that. Was that? So, I had, I, just kinda, quote. I had to ding it from that. What did I just quote? Uh, oh, you sure shoot. you saw what you thought you saw? No. Are you sure you saw what you saw? Whoa. Probably Star Wars. No, it's not Star Wars. It's not Star Wars. All right, so music. Music, Hans Zimmer. It yes. was a real theme, and it was real funky. So um, a couple of things. One, you know, you have, aside from that, you have, like, actual songs in this. You have a Beatles song. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have At Last. Um, you have a couple other songs that I liked. So at one point, um, I'm writing down something. I'm writing down a note, and... Uh, this is kind of when they start traveling. It's from X Men. Ah, um, Magneto is talking to Senator Kelly, ah, yes. um, or something like that. No, he's talking to Rogue. Okay, and he goes, "Are you sure you saw what you saw?" That's so, it. I think it's one of those. Right. But anyway. So they're driving, and the overall traveling theme is playing, which is. Kind of the theme of Rain Man. He's talking to Storm. Sorry, I'm not even <laughs> listening to you. He's talking to Storm in the in the Statue of Liberty. I'm good now. Can you go back about thirty seconds? I've I've forgotten everything. The the theme, the Beatles, real song. Right. So the actual theme that Hans Zimmer comes up with. Yep. Uh, I was I was writing something. I was writing a note down um, as the theme was kind of playing. Mm-hmm. In, Towards the beginning of when they first start their journey. Sure. Um, and it was the first time I noticed the theme, but I'm hearing it as I'm writing something down. And as I'm writing, as I'm writing down, and there's no way, as, if, if, we're, if, if we're friends, you would have thought the same thing I did, was as I'm writing down and I hear the theme playing, it's like, do, 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 do. I instinctively just start singing Shadowland. Oh, you know, it actually did sound a bit like Shadowland. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, man, you know, I was like, all right, so you you went and recycled this later on down the line a bit. Um, but I, you're right. It's an actual theme. It's a theme that that plays throughout the movie because mm-hmm. it happens several times. However, um, you kind of shut off the movie because I I came in as you were finishing this movie. You kind of shut off the movie um, on the credits. Yeah, I'll play it here. Yeah. And with the journey, yeah, not quite. Will leave us. It's that do 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 part. Be our guy. <laughs> yep. See? Yep. Um, so you shut it off during yeah. the credits. Mm-hmm. But the credits um, music on both ends, like at mm-hmm. the very beginning and at the very end, yep. has a very oriental sound to them. Sure. I wasn't, I honestly, I don't know what you're talking about. Which doesn't feel right in this movie because nothing takes place in China. Okay. Um, and it's just the way, like, some of the music is arranged in some of the instruments they use part of that i think is it's like some of that's 80s synth style yeah um because we know that hans hans zimmer now exclusively does everything digitally 
apart from solo instruments. He also does things with a lot of... Dum, 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 dum. Yeah. Yeah. I need that guy with the two drums and the giant sticks. Han, we're making a children's movie. Well, I thought... I mean, I actually really liked the music in this film, and I liked the theme, but I'm not sure it... I'm not sure it went with the movie. Well, that's that's what I was going to say. Like the the cycle, the, the bookends. Like I really like the theme, and I don't have that much of a problem with that fitting in this movie. Yeah, um, because I equate it with the song Shadowlands, where this person is going on a journey anyway. Okay, and they're going on a journey. It's the bookends that kind of sound a little bit more like it was supposed to take place in Asia, hmm. and I'm like, this movie is nowhere near Asia. Like I don't. I don't know why you chose those those instruments because it was the instrument choices. Yeah, you know, honestly, I I I, I can I think which, I can understand what you mean when I feel like it's out of place. But at the same time, this was the only music out of these five films that I walked away from going. I liked that; it worked for me. See, I I also like I also just sang the working girl theme. Like for the rest. I of the wish day. I was a working girl. Right. Yeah, nailed it. Yeah, I wish I was a working girl. All right. So, will you ever find Mr. Harrison Ford? Yeah, I about twenty minutes into the movie. Girl. Yeah. Um. So overall, yep. Really enjoyed this film. Yeah, it was a really good movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So. Yep. The Oscar goes to Working Girl. Working Girl? Yes. Are you serious? Oh, I, I love Working Girl so much. Are you serious? Like, I I sat there after the movie, and I started to think of all the wrong life choices that led me to not watching this movie up until, like, four days ago. Working Girl. Yes. You're giving this movie, yes. you're giving the Oscar to Working Girl. Yes. Look, as as great and fun as that movie <laughs> is, it is not best picture yes it is no it's unabashedly 80s oh it's so that good i'm not saying but that's you're saying that's a good film but like the criteria is that it, it fits all of the best it fits all the categories it and does. then and then it leaves some mark on society afterwards and i'm sorry if that's all folks um i'm rain uh, I think Rain Man deserved it. Um, Rain Man was very close for me. I think Rain Man deserved it, and purely because because Raymond Babbitt is in the zeitgeist. He is in the culture. Even if you've never seen the film, right. you go def, def, definitely read people. Yeah. It, that's Rain Man. Oh, like, absolutely. You know, and I I think I think the sto- I think the story, however simple it is, is strong and effectively delivered. Because apart from all the, I mean, Dangerous Liaisons has kind of an interweaving story, and uh, Mississippi Burning has a um, has a point and a and a and a strong and a message and all that stuff. I think that I think there's an emotional resonance to Rain Man that you don't get in the other films the same way, right? Um, but as I said, except for except for Working Girl, but again, like that movie, but rom coms always kind of leave you with a woo together and something good was accomplished and you know what i mean like it's, it's yeah usually gonna work out that way um so working girls great but it's not best picture um what kind of edged out for me was 
music. I liked the yeah, working girl sure. music a little bit more because okay. I love eighties music. Um, and I just felt the writing, um, was a little bit better in working girl. Like, yes, it's a rom-com. I understand this, but it's a really good rom-com. It does what it does really well. Sure. And like I said, there were a few things in rain man where I felt like at times they started writing a different movie than the movie they kind of fell into. Okay. Okay. Sure. Um, but I mean, rain man, if I, if working girls not in this year, rain man wins easily ish. Um, I had, I had Mississippi burning kind of rated. Yeah. See, I was there. I was really, really close to giving it to Mississippi burning just because I think the movie is still relevant. Right. Um, and I, I think that kind of, that outweighs a lot of other things, but at the, but at the end of the day, relevance is not the only thing that I'm looking for. Yeah, uh, sometimes it also has to be an enjoyable movie. Like, I like uh, Mississippi Burning's good. Yep, but it's not necessarily a movie I I want to see again. Sure, but well, but yeah, that's uh, that you know that's a great point, and um, um, because there are other films that are upsetting i guess right that you do want to see again um yeah well i'm sure we'll be seeing some of those yeah oh yeah i have a few in my mind already yeah. but um because they are sitting with you and you you want to revisit them you know to delve deeper yeah and but mississippi burning is kind of is missing that i want to revisit you to delve deeper quality i right. think it wears everything pretty much on its sleeve yeah um and that's kind of where and I think Rain Man has a lot of subtlety to it. Mm-hmm. Subtlety for an '80s movie, um, and that's that's really where I want to. That's really where it's edged out for me. Yeah, and acting isn't everything when it comes to Best Picture, but there's two because everybody's oh everybody's like everybody in their categories are strong, but this was easily the high, Rain Man was easily the highest rated acting one since we started doing this. Like I gave it a nine. Okay. Um, you know, it's got one great performance, mm-hmm. one really good performance, and then, but I mean, and that's pretty much all the characters. It's a very small cast. Yeah. Yeah. And I liked the size of the, I did like the size of the movie even, you know, it doesn't have to be this grandiose thing to, to win a, you know, it's a, it's a road trip movie. Yeah. I think we, we didn't talk about this for the first two decades, but I think, the nominees for each year says a lot about what's happening in the culture at the time. Right. right? So if we're, if we're looking at dangerously, dangerously liaisons and, um, you know, hold on, I need to, I need to flip girl. through my page. Um, dangerous liaisons, Mississippi burning, working girl, accidental tourist and rain man. Right. Yeah. So what's, what's happening in this time? Dangerous liaisons. It's the eighties. It's a the lot sexy of eighties, a lot of Coke and sex. I mean, like, like think of like uh, trading places, yeah. Where Jamie Lee Curtis just is naked for reasons, yeah. Like there's no reason for it. it right. It, she's naked because it's the '80s, yeah. You know, and that's just and th- and it's funny because like these movies don't do that, right? Exactly. Um, but Dangerous Liaisons is still on there because it's like it's almost pinnacle '80s that yeah. way. Um, and then Mississippi Burning, you know, we're still talking about race issues, yeah. you know, now. So stuff like that, I think is, 
I don't want to say always going to be relevant because that's pessimistic, but I think it's going to, it's, it's, it's here to stay for a while. Yeah. Um, working girl, I think, you know, you're talking about, you talk about, uh, you talk about glass, breaking the glass ceiling. It's the eighties. Yep. It is, you know, that's in the culture. The accidental tourist, I think makes it in on, it makes it in on some performances, I think. And it yeah. may be, and maybe Kasdan. Um, but, um, but it's looking at basically the the downfall of the family mm-hmm. in which you're which is also an eighties thing, right? Yeah. But then you have Rain Man, which is the opposite of that, in which you're looking at the the broken family coming together, like two broken houses coming together, which yeah. is also something that the eighties are are kind of, you know, we're going into the nineties, so we're moving into a new era about what does it mean to be a family. So right. so you can you can see a lot of you can see a lot of play here. Um, but ultimately rain man is more optimistic than a lot of these films, except for working girl. Really? Oh, and I guess the X- girl is just super optimism. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But, but the super optimism is lacking subtlety like Mississippi, Mississippi burning. And that's where it gets pushed out for rain man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, unfortunately we can never always agree. no, um, but we can agree that people should leave us iTunes reviews. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, at Academy Rewind. Um, you can rate and review us. Um, um, whatever you think, five stars would be very, very helpful. Uh, tell us your uh, tell us your Best Picture winner and why for 1989. Um, you can also find us on Gmail and Twitter at Academy Rewind. Send it, shoot us an email, send us a tweet, anything to your liking. Um, you can find me under other, other Thought Bubble Audio shows, Supergirl TV Talk and Beer with Geeks. And we have another one, Marketers Next, The Marketers Next Door. Um, Palmer, would you like to plug something? Uh, no, not this week. Not this week? Okay. No. Well, until another time. It seems that they are playing the music we have gone over, as we always do. No, I have so many more people to thank. Well, too bad for you. Bye. Bye. Bye.